Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, I'm a good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Excited for today's episode. We are going to talk about exercise, fasting, and what exercise is better before or after a meal in regards to your blood sugar levels. We're going to get into that in just a minute. It's a really cool meta-analysis, kind of sent us down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But as always, we're going to leave you with one or two actionable things that you can do today to put into your day-to-day life so you can adopt a fasting lifestyle, lose the weight, get your health back, reverse that disease process that you're working on. Whatever your goal is with fasting, we want to give you some stuff that you can better your results starting now. So if you're new to the episode, that's how we roll. I mean, I'm new to the podcast, excuse me, that's how we do it. We want to give you one or two things, usually in the 30 to 40 minute range, keep it short and sweet to the point and allow you to take your fasting and your health to the next level. If you want to know more about Tommy and I and our journey with fasting, how it's transformed our lives, head back to episode one, give it a listen. Over 60,000 people have now listened to our journey with fasting, Tommy. It's just so incredible. And that number just keeps growing. If you are an OG, you know what that means. You've been with us for a while. You've been on this journey with us. We appreciate you continuing to show up week in and week out. And one of the things that we do ask is that, and we want to give a shout out here in just a second before we get into the topic and the research articles that we have ready for today, give a shout out to the five-star reviews and the reviews and the likes and the downloads that you guys leave. That tells the podcast gods and goddesses, whoever and wherever they may be hiding in the background, that we are bringing value to y'all week in and week out as we have been for the last... I don't know, almost 2.7 million downloads and 180 episodes plus. So if you leave those reviews, that allows them to know that we are continuing to make an impact. And that's what we want each and every episode. So Tommy, I know we have a special shout out from a recent review that came in. Of course, the five-star kind are our favorites. No need to self-aggrandize here, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Give that shout out, Tommy. Let's get into today's episode. uh, User still married says solid support and congrats on still married. Love that. I listen to many health related podcasts, but this is far away. The best I found on the fasting lifestyle. Thank you. Serious science, conversationally and honest talk about how fasting does and doesn't work in the real world. Highly recommend for anyone who would like to enjoy the long-term benefits of a fasting lifestyle and would like solid information delivered in easily digestible bite-sized chunks. Love that. Thank you so much. We did not ask for that or solicit There were no raffles or giveaways (laughs) or Starbucks gift cards, right? So Nope. Thank you. Thank you. We truly appreciate that. And I think the still married handle, if I had to guess, I'm not sure, (laughs) would maybe the marriage merge when you start fasting in your spousal Mm. unit or your friends and family go, or your partner goes, what the heck are you doing? Like, why would you do that? So if you're having success adopting that lifestyle, sir, madam, that's exactly what we want for you. So keep going. Let's keep going. Let's get into it. So 
the article that we're going to be our starting point for this conversation, the article is after dinner, rest a while after supper, walk a mile. It's kind of a little catchy, right? I'm not sure the difference yeah. between dinner and supper. I think it probably has to do with the location of the country that you are from here mm, in the States. Maybe. Supper seems like a Midwest thing, maybe, and dinner yeah. sounds normal. Just yeah. kidding. I'm from the Northeast, so you can throw stones all you like. But it's called the sure. Systemic Review with Meta-Analysis on the Acute Postprandial Glycemic Response to Exercise Before and After Meal Ingestion in healthy subjects and patients with impaired glucose tolerance. So mm. this just came out in 2023 in sports medicine, and it is a meta-analysis. So it's something that we really, a systemic review with a meta-analysis. So it's like one of the gold standard, big picture, let's summarize all the data that we can find yeah. and come up with some actionable takeaways. So we, in big picture, Tommy, if we start with that same idea, big picture for why we think fasting is such a sustainable and viable approach to lose weight, get your health back, prevent and reverse diabetes, reduce inflammation, reduce cardiovascular risk, you know, just improve your health dramatically strategy, right? Fasting can yeah. apply to any and every lifestyle that you like. If Absolutely. you're a high level CEO, you're a stay at home mom or dad, you're a teacher, you're a monk, a Buddhist monk who already fat, like you like to eat certain type of food from carnivore to vegan to vegetarian. Like fasting mm -hmm. is so powerful because it can apply to any and all lifestyle. So this type of big picture, you know, why we feel fasting is so powerful is because in today's world of super convenient, super processed foods, we and marketing and advertising and all of these things, we are constantly bombarded with food and the opportunity to consume food. Yeah. And that is a big problem as we look at the data and the statistics when it comes to lifestyle and food related disease processes, things that are furthered or made worse by the day to day choices that we make. So mm. the big picture for us is let's get to the root cause and let's look at the insulin cascade. Let's look at your hormones. Let's look at your blood sugar. And let's pull, start pulling some of y'all out of the 100 plus, 130 plus million Americans that are able to be diagnosed as pre-diabetic or diabetic. So yeah. we know the complications that come from that. And that was the starting point with this article is that they were looking at what is in terms of exercise, right? What is the yeah. best course of action? And they looked at it from a blood sugar perspective, which is something that we talk a lot about. So something that you can easily control on a day-to-day -day basis that doesn't require a complete lifestyle overhaul. Yes, yeah, and that's a key point right there because the, the simpler it is to implement, the easier it is that I, I can see myself doing it you know, at the next opportunity, which would be, you know, after my, my next meal or, you know, after I, I break my next fast, I go into the meal because essentially blood sugar and blood sugar related issues, they start with the blood sugar spike that comes after a meal, which is a very normal part of the process. It should be happening. However, at the same time, the degree to which our blood sugar spikes after that meal is where the gradient of the issues starts to come in or where the processes start to develop. And then our blood sugar monitors, our sensors, if you will, our pancreas blood sugar sensors start to take a look at how high that spike is going. And thus, 
push out a proportional or a disproportional amount of insulin after that to control that. And that's where the issues start to mount because if I'm pushing out too much insulin too much of the time to try to control the blood sugar and then my skeletal muscle and my liver cells are not responding to said insulin, then it just keeps pushing out more and more and more. And thus I get into the the fat storage mode, which then just throws everything way off. But if so, in order to, to back up a few steps and then to simplify what actually happens after that meal, and then what can we do? What simple steps can we take to kind of control that or lessen the effects? Like that's where we're going to start to have a, a big impact right there. And that's where the insulin component comes in. So dependent on that insulin release, your body knows how effective it is. So it's going to up or down regulate the amount that it produces, which over time we know can create insulin resistance, which will result in weight loss resistance and having those elevated numbers tick up on, on your lab work in terms of yeah. A1C, fasting, blood glucose, um, even things like cholesterol imba uh, panel imbalances, blood pressure, because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, salt gets blamed for what insulin does when it comes to blood pressure. Right. Uh, go back and listen to our salt episode if you want more clarity on that. The tides are turning in regards to into that conversation around how much salt and, and what it actually does. So insulin is the underlying factor there again. So when we look at the results of this simple thing that you can do, I don't want to bury the lead. So I just want to go over what the article, because sometimes we'll get down rabbit holes and then 20 <laughs> minutes and we're like, oh yeah, by the way, the results of the study were. Yeah. So this, I love the fact that this was looking at, it's a, a systemic review meta-analysis, but I like that they had different groups where they had folks that had abnormal blood sugar and folks that didn't. Mm. So exercise, and they looked at all different types of exercise. So I'll mention a few here in just a second. But what they found was 20 minutes of walking has an acute beneficial impact on postprandial hyperglycemia, meaning elevated blood sugar. Insulin is the thing that then comes and tells your body to use it, store it. I need to get it yeah. out of the blood sugar, put it somewhere. Yeah, too high. Get a low. Too high. Red alert. DEFCON 1. But again, elevated blood sugar post-meal is a normal process. Yeah. Okay. It is supposed to happen. Your body uh, is incredibly smart um, and that we want to blunt those peaks. So if you remember back to trigonometry class, like sine waves or mm. bell curves, like we don't want the big spikes and valleys. Yeah, We want your blood sugar to be Smooth maintained and kind of have ebbs and flows rather than these big spikes and valleys. If you can you know this is an audio uh, medium, but visualize that for just a second. <laughs> And sorry for making you go back to trigonometry. I think that's the correct term. Anyway, I was more of a science guy than a, than a math guy. So hyperglycemia, 20 minutes of walking has an acute beneficial impact on postprandial hyperglycemia when undertaken, here's the key, as soon as possible after a meal. So they looked at different windows, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. They looked at before meals. They looked at different types of exercise, resistance training, walking on a treadmill, et cetera. And what they show uh, came out was longer intervals between eating and exercise and weaken the effect on glucose levels. So that makes sense to me because your body's already started processing some of that sure. energy. Exercise prior to a meal does not blunt postprandial hyperglycemia or elevated blood sugar. This effect mm. seems especially relevant. Here's the key. In sedentary settings during working hours, my brain immediately goes to lunch. Lunch. Yeah. Office lunch. 
Yeah. Huge, huge Taco opportunity. Taco trucks right there. and DoorDash orders and yeah. the Chinese birthday party in the, the conference place next room. door. Yeah, yeah. The post lunch crash. So set under settings during working hours and in the evening in which macronutrients are provided consistently through digestion and the metabolism would be otherwise forced to store large amounts of carbs. So we're talking about mm. evening and we're talking about lunch. Yeah. So the data suggests that post-meal exercise minimizes glycemic excursions in healthy humans and with type 2 diabetes. So I'm going nice. to extrapolate that it's going to work with people that have undiagnosed pre-diabetes too, right? <laughs> We've got yeah. point A to point yeah. Point C, well, there's got to be a B in the middle, right? Although the extrapolation of the long-term effects is speculative, earlier studies already suggest that decreased postprandial blood sugar loads lower the risk. Here's, the, here's where the big picture started from that we love this article. The risk for low-grade inflammatory diseases such as type 2 diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and CVD, the whole group of wow. CVD and metabolic disorders. So yeah. The acute lowering post meal in type 2 diabetics specifically might improve long term glycemic control and reduce the likelihood of further health consequences. So they're saying the optimal time for physical activity around food intake is right after the meal. And that's why they, we started off with that statement that said, after dinner, rest a while, after supper, yeah. walk, walk a mile. Well, they changed yeah. it at the end. This is the last sentence in the conclusion. It says, consequently, the saying should be rephrased to after dinner, walk a mile, after supper, walk again. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's not quite as catchy, but it, it right. is, it is accurate. Yeah. It for lost the that little jingle kind of right. feel to it. You guys are gonna be like, that was terrible. Well, it wasn't ours. This was from the yeah. authors of the article. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to think that we would come up with something a little catchier, but bad dad joke range, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. We'll, we'll leave it for for a different day. But, you know, just the fact that, you know, especially after dinner, it can be tempting to, you know, to just rest or kind of kick your feet up or, you know, hey, maybe the TV's on or maybe it's maybe you're you're gathered around with the family or, you know, doing doing something, getting back to to work, whatever your your normal kind of routine is just putting in just 20 minutes to kind of get out. And then, I mean, you don't even have to potentially leave your home, but if you can get outside all the better, but like for, for me and my family, we, we kind of put in a lot of days going into the summer, it, it can be a little bit prohibitive as far as how hot it is. But if we do like, a, like a, come on, right, right. Like an after dinner, like, like a stroll or, you know, like a bike ride, something that's, that's low intensity, but at the same time, it gets some of the, it gets the body going. It, it, it pulls in multiple muscle groups because essentially if we can, if we can activate different groups of, of muscle cells, then those are going to require some level of, of blood sugar. Those are going to actually pull some of the resources that are building up in the blood after that meal, that postprandial response. And the quicker that we can get some of those cleared out, that means I need less insulin to do that work for me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work that that insulin will be forced to do if I don't do the work. So if I'm in front of the TV, it's going to be insulin's job. If I'm outside or on a bike or, or walking or maybe like a, a light swim or something like that, then then I'm doing the work and then I don't need the insulin response, which is going to be much better for my body long-term and help me get, get back to tapping into long-term fat stores rather than being in fat storage mode, which is what happens when the insulin response happens. And that was some of the background that I really liked. So it was like, there is evidence that suggests excessively elevated post-meal blood sugar levels increase the risk of type 2 and cardiovascular diseases. Yeah. And a couple of the studies, this was actually from a position statement from of the American Diabetes Association in 2016. 
in the Journal of Diabetes Care, and it was looking at phys- physical activity and exercise in relationship to diabetes. And I was surprised that their recommendation in the daily movement was to increase your NEAT, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, yeah, which was the errands, household tasks, dog walking, gardening, you know, keeping that heart rate low, but getting moving, increasing the steps, so to speak, because it helps with weight management. Weight management then helps with <clears throat> metabolic flexibility and reversing those metabolic syndrome and, you know, diabetes related issues. Mm-hmm. So they came out with a, the statement that said three to 15 minute bouts is effective in acutely reducing postprandial hyperglycemia with prediabetes type one, type two, most prominently after meals. So even a while back, the big picture here is that we want to make sure that we are reducing risk, right? Improving health and yeah. simply getting out and getting that walk in is something that is very, very easy rather than the activation energy that you might have to process in previous failed attempts to make lifestyle changes when it comes to eat less and move more. So Mm. stop eating, remove all the foods that you love, go low carb or no carb, and then exercise. Yeah. And then exercise five days a week, intense exercise, right? So there's all these things around here where we live, F45 and hot works and- Yeah, orange theory. uh, Orange theories and all of these very high intense. Now, working out is incredibly important for long-term health and longevity, right? Yeah. I'm not saying it isn't, but a lot of people, especially that are more sedentary, that have had multiple failed attempts at trying to lose weight or are now in this category with having cardiovascular or type two diabetes or metabolic diseases, mm-hmm. we, we want to lower that activation energy. So we actually yeah. recommend in the beginning, if you're starting to fast more consistently, let's remove one of the variables of, cause a lot of people come in and be like, what's the best time to exercise? What's the best time to fast? What's the best fasting schedule? What do I, they want like this yeah. done for you type program. And it's like, well, no, it's more of like, you have to try things and figure out what works. So love that. The reason I mentioned that is this idea that you will, to be able to really see these changes, if you're going to go walk, you can inherently like say, okay, it's working and I'm just going to do it. But some of y'all need to see it because it helps with that motivation and that habit rewiring piece. Yeah. So you were talking about this, Tommy. Exercise helps control those postprandial glucose levels by increasing the uptake and improving the action of insulin. So we want a better response or a better effectiveness. And the study really showed us because people always say, well, should I exercise? And we've talked about this, exercise fasted or fed. Well, what feels better to you? Well, now if you combine that with NutriSense and now you're starting to look at some of this research here, it's that 30 minutes of walking immediately post meal that is the best bang for your buck. Yeah. And but that's a cool thing. But it, it's it's also tricky if you've been in like, like for me, I was I was always heavy into like having a gym membership. But if if I was so if I was going to the gym and I was eating what felt like like perfectly on my diet, then it right. felt like I was very on. But then I could I could also be very off. It was like a, a very heavy on off switch, you know. But where where when you do something like putting in thirty minutes of an after dinner walk every day, it it can feel like is this really enough to move the needle? And so seeing that seeing the data for it and then correlating that with my results and getting positive reinforcement for that can help undo some of the years and years and years of like if I'm not going to the gym then. Do I really need to be making better food choices? Because it's kind of this on off, 
you know, black and white mentality that a lot of us can can kind of fall into, especially if if you've been dieting, you know, for a long period of time. So absolutely making some small changes like this one can can really move the needle in a way that's that's a lot greater and more significant than than you might think. They actually say here as a note, the small number of studies included in the widely varying protocols, differences in time of meal ingestion, type of meal consumed, type of exercise performed limit the strength of these findings, right? Yeah. So that food decision component is such a big part of this as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we did an episode on protein pacing and some recent research that's come out. And interestingly enough, I've been really working personally on some visceral fat body scans. I'm about to have another one here coming up at the end of the summer because my last pre and post for visceral really didn't change. My body composition improved slightly in terms of my lean muscle composition and my BMR but I did not see the the change in the visceral fat that I wanted. So I've made some changes. I've changed my foods. I've changed. I'm starting to do some longer cold exposure and different types of workouts, et cetera, because I really want to reduce that visceral fat. But, you know, I'm much farther down the journey. So if you're new and you're just listening, you're like, okay, well, what do you mean by like food choices? So I thought one of the things, mistakes we see often is, well, if I fast and I can just eat whatever I want, I wish it was that easy. Sure you know, protein, fat, carbohydrate, macro composition, it definitely has an effect on how your body responds as in carbohydrates sure. have the, the highest insulin response, especially the fast acting carbs and the, the more simple carbs and sugars. Yeah. So putting some intentionality into that, we call it a nutrition window or a nutrition opportunity, yeah. not a feast, right? Fast feast, yeah. repeat. Well, that feeds into some of the old dieting mindset, on, off, cheat meals, cheat days. Now, again, yeah. you'll hear me always say if pizza with my kids on a Friday night once a month is not part of my plan, then that's not the plan for me. Sure. Right? So Agreed. we're not saying to go, you know, build a, a hut in the middle of the woods and, and remove yourself from society and be so strict that you just have fear of missing out constantly and you're you're just restricting yourself into a corner. Yeah. But making some better food choices will will really make a, a tangible difference in the way you feel about going for a walk after you eat. Yes. Yeah. I that, don't that's, yeah. feel like going yeah. for a walk if I were to rip back in the day after my Thanksgivings. Yep. That's what I was now, thinking. Or, or like a big pizza. Big difference. Yep. And that, difference. that's the tricky part because, you know, that that's when you really need the walk the most would be, you know, after the heavier dessert or maybe after the pizza night, especially right. if it's takeout pizza versus I made it myself, you know, at home. And that that's when the blood sugar spikes faster and for longer. And really you needed that that after meal walk right then, but you really don't don't feel like it. And that's that's where the recommendation from us to not just always, you know, eat eat whatever, whatever you want, you know, even though you're you're fasting is is disciplined or it's consistent um you know even if you're you're seeing some progress the progress could be better it could be more sustainable with each better choice and it gets it gets easier over time you know so it's definitely not like everything can can get fixed all at once or all at the same time and and stay that way too but it, there, right. it's kind of like it's building blocks you know and one of the things i want to mention here is obviously when it comes to you know blood sugar and fasting, we talk a lot about insulin and blood sugar, right? And it's not only just diabetics. One of the studies that I wanted to mention that was uh, used as a jumping off point here, it was another meta 
meta-analysis in the Journal of Internal Medicine in 2000, October of 2004, is non-diabetic hyperglycemia a risk factor for cardiovascular disease, a meta-analysis of prospective studies. And they came out with one main conclusion, blood glucose level is a risk marker for CVD among apparently healthy individuals without diabetes. Mm -hmm. So the question we get is, well, what should my numbers be? So different demographics, different age groups, different, there's different categories, but a main thing to shoot for is before meals, anywhere between 72 and 90, 99, and two hours after a meal, less than 140. Hmm. So anywhere in that 30 to 40 range of blood sugar elevation and then regression back to the starting point, picture that bell curve, right? That curve, that that graph that I was trying to illustrate earlier, X, Y axis, right? It's going to come up mm -hmm. and then it's going to come down. So 72 to 99 and then two hours after a meal, less than 140. And then with folks with diabetes and the pre-diabetics would fall somewhere in between these numbers, target blood sugar levels before meals would be 80 to 130 and then less than 180 two hours after a meal. So when you're talking about medications and metformins and in different short and long-term acting insulins and things, that makes that a little bit more complicated. But big picture, you want to see the peaks and valleys get smaller and you want to see yeah. the maintaining of that ideal range, that 30 to 40 variants, maybe 50 variants that we see, yeah. that we need that to become your normal. And mm -hmm. walking post-meal can decrease that in some of the other research that we've looked at up to 30 to 35%. So yeah. really powerful things that you can take back control just in a moment by making a better decision and blocking in a little bit of time after your meal to say, all right, I'm out. There's a couple of people I follow that they'll do nightly walks like you were saying, Tommy. Yeah. If you ask my wife, one of the least favorite things on this planet for me to do, mm -hmm is to go for a walk with the family. And some of you are going to be like, oh, wow, what an awful dad. No, I am not a big fan. If I'm going to go for a walk, I'm very driver. Like, I want to go for a walk. I have a target. I want to get it done and I'm out. Walks yeah. with kids, young kids. Yeah. You don't really walk very far. Yeah, you're just a you plastic bag kind of floating get moving. around. So... A lot of stops, a lot of meandering. A lot of meandering, a lot of saving a turtle, a lot of, and we have young kids, so yeah. it's yeah. it's easier when they're older. They can get on their bikes, they can get on their ride-alongs, whatever. Sure. But our youngest is 15 months, so, but we have committed a couple times a week to doing that as a family just because, you know, summer and school, everything's just moved so fast, so we're trying to slow down time. Sure. But I know that, I know that I'm not going to want to go do that if it's on the schedule, right? So... Typically, Tuesday night is a night we did it, and we did it last night as well. I know I'm going to make better food choices because I don't want to not feel great and then have mm. to be in the situation that isn't my funnest thing on the planet. Right. So, like, already my mindset has changed. I'm like, all right, yeah, this is a really good family building thing we can do. Just, you know, 20, 30 minutes of intentional time, no phones, et cetera. So, I just love the intentionality of putting this bookends on your meal and your, your fasting window and your nutrition yeah. opportunity. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it, when you combine that with discipline and consistent fasting, the results even start to compound and get even better from there. So, for example, if you're coming into a dinner and you've just been on a, let's say it's a 22-hour a fast, just a, a solid good fast. The cool thing is 
blood sugar and insulin have been able to be decreasing stepwise down over the past 22 hours. And, and like, that's a really, really good thing. Of course, you know, now I'm going to bring in some, some good food. So after a good fast like that, make, you know, make one or two better food choices, you know, like, like, uh, in, include that protein, some of the prioritize the protein yeah. first. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because when you, when you do that, you're actually going to help further blunt that blood sugar and insulin spike. So know that you're doing that, like enjoy the protein, but put it first. Then I've, I've made a, an intentional decision about the blood sugar and insulin. And then I'm going to continue that knowing that right after that meal, I'm going to do, you know, just, just a, a brief walk or something, get, you know, get outside of the house and, and, I've made several more improvements on the response. And these are, these are really small things. Again, don't, don't be fooled by the fact that these are relatively easy to do. So thus they, they must not be all that effective. No, these are, these are hugely effective. And th that, that's the really powerful thing right here. Yeah. And it's simple, right? As promised, yeah. something simple that you can do today. Yep. Um, it lowers that activation energy. You know, it's going to be benefiting the underlying cause. It's going to be thinking big picture prevention rather than, you know, treating. Um, yeah. And it, it's a really powerful tool. So if you're looking for more guidance, two things you can do now as we wrap up today, Tommy, you can head to the show notes. Well, that's the same thing. That's the action step. Head to the show notes. There's two places you can click. Okay. Okay. Um, the NutriSense link is up there, but you can also click into our Facebook community. That is all podcast listeners. We're all in the same place. Uh, we talk about fasting 24-7. It's a place to get support, ask questions, continue the conversation and be on the same track as other folks on the same journey as you. And then the second thing is you can grab our fasting blueprint. So the blueprint to fasting for fat loss, it'll give you some different schedules and there's a lot of great information in there as well. So if you're looking for more support, those are the two places you can go. Tommy, the main takeaway for today, walk as soon as you can post meal for a balanced blood sugar response. That mm -hmm. couldn't be more simple. I don't care if it's hot, if it's cold, like <laughs> get your steps, go for a walk somehow, 30 minutes. That's yeah. all Pace it around takes. The house if you need to. Yeah. Just that's all it takes. Get it done. Super simple, super actionable. So Love as it. always, sir, appreciate the conversation and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free fast start guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.